Welcome to Sex the Podcast, episode number 17. We're back! This one is with Rick Clemens. It's called Coming Out Gay Late in Life. If you didn't guess already, it's about Rick coming out late in life! (laughs) (laughs) So Rick is one of our most favorite people in the coaching and speaking space. He lives here in Los Angeles where we're based and... Rick is just an incredible personality. This is one of the funniest interviews we've had the pleasure of doing. I know. He's such an amazing man, both in his just personal, how he shows up, but also just what he's doing in the world and how much he's leading the charge around this idea of coming out and really being your most genuine self and also having your most amazing relationship. Yeah, and not even just around being gay or around Mm -hmm. sexuality. He talks about how we all have something that we hide from the world. And Rick gives us all permission to come out more fully. Mm -hmm. In this episode, we talk about Rick's journey of being a late bloomer in more ways than one, both coming out gay late in life and finding his true passion later on in life. Mm -hmm. We also talk about the distinction between needs and desires, and how to bring the unconscious to consciousness in your relationship. We talk about owning your unconventional relationship style so that you can have a more fulfilling relationship. This episode is so good. Yeah, Rick is a professional speaker, a podcaster, an author, a life strategist, a gay dad, and a husband. I mean, I feel like he's Superman at this <laughs> He's point. pretty much a Superman <laughs> at this point. We had a ton of fun talking to Rick. We know you're going to love it also. Sit back and enjoy. Rick, we're excited to talk to you today. Hey, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yeah. Always a lot of fun with you too. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's like a year and a half in the making after (laughs) we first talked about it and having you on the podcast. So, hey. Mm It's worth the wait. <laughs> it, is, it is. Yeah, it totally is. So. Well, great. So I'm so excited. what are we going to talk about, guys? Well, let's, we were thinking right we would talk it. about sex. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm in the mood. Oh, so. oh, you're not? Are you feeling tired today? Or coy. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm feeling like, I don't know if I'm really in a sexual mood. A, a long oh, day it. at work, Rick. Let, let's go it. Let's go do it, right? <laughs> Rick's like, I need a little bit of foreplay, you guys. Like, warm me up a little bit before we just go there. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm gay. We don't do foreplay. Oh, okay, <laughs> then. I don't know what you're complaining about, Rick. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, it's it's so, so funny because that's like that huge assumption that all gay men, like, okay, we all we want to do is just fucking get it done, right? And it's like, oh, no, no, no. We like the foreplay. We like to be treated like a princess and all that stuff, too. So, mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Oh, so the much to dive into. So much to dive into. But before we do, I think to give our listeners some context and also just our own curiosity, and we would love for you to share the Cliff Notes version of your sexual history and your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still a virgin, so... Um, <laughs> oh, shit. That, I thought that, this was a homosexuality that, that, episode. <laughs> that much was obvious, Rick. Yeah, exactly. It is kind of interesting. In Cliff Notes' version, wow, okay, so let's see what I can do in under a minute here. Um, <laughs> well, you could take a, a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. So one of the, I think one of the things that most people would be most surprised at, given how I talk about sex and sexuality, is that I've always been like this very, like, 
out there sexual being and that was actually so not true um i was actually kind of petrified of sex and i attribute that to actually helping me navigate through these interesting choppy waters that i've been through in my life from being married in a heterosexual relationship and then coming out late in life um my younger years in high school and college i wasn't I wasn't sexual. Um, oh. Okay, so I I played around a little. I mean, yeah, I, I made out and stuff like that, but I never, I actually never had sexual intercourse with anyone until I met my wife, um, which would have been when I was like 24, 23, 24. Oh, wow, so very much a late yeah quote unquote, a late, late bloomer yeah yeah so i guess that just kind of sticks with me you know a late bloomer coming out late in life late bloomer finding my passion and purpose in life you know uh, so i've just i've just i've just embraced that i'm a late bloomer and so that means i'm not actually not going to age until i'm like 80 that you won't actually see the wrinkles and everything either so <laughs> uh, and that means my penis will probably still be working really well at 82 because it won't fall off you know into the late bloomer thing <laughs> So, it won't fall uh, off like it yeah, does for most men when they yeah, get Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, you know, hey, you know, screw Viagra. I've got it already built in. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, seriously, it, it was kind of interesting that um, I didn't have, like, any sexual history, so to speak, until mm-hmm. I met my wife. Um, I had some some experiences but nothing like the true full-on intercourse um i would say i had more teenage boyhood explorations clear up into my 20s of you know basically jerking off and you know things like that but the full intercourse didn't happen until i met my wife and then um well, and I'm curious, so before that, when you say explorations, what other kinds of things? Was it was it kind of groping or um, kind of the, yeah, were there other things that was happening that you would consider sexual? Sure. Groping, masturbation, mutual masturbation okay. with... Um, with men and women okay. with women it was more you know the typical making groping out um groping and you know making out that sort of stuff um i was very sexually naive so to kind of put this in, a, in the right framework um <clears throat> i came out to my parents when i was 19 hmm. and i was in a in a religious college at the time <clears throat> Um, had been in religious schools my entire life. From the time I started school to my second year in college, I was in a Seventh-day Adventist um, school of some sort. Although my family wasn't uber-religious, that was the basis of our religious interaction. And when I came out to my parents, it was immediately, uh, no, you're not, and um, we're going to help you get through this. At that time, I was very naive, not only sexually naive, but I was somewhat naive as to, okay, how how are the feelings that I experience in life? And part of that came from um, just my social upbringing. Um, I was raised in a abusive home, hmm. uh, almost an alcoholic home um, to some degree, even though my father never went to AA, he was as close to being an alcoholic as there possibly could be. 
Um, we all have dysfunctional homes, so I'm going to just say, you know, it was a dysfunctional home in in some way, and you know, somebody's going to say, I didn't come up in a dysfunctional home. Well, yeah, you just keep believing that because we all have them. So, just be be cool with that. It's okay to come up and be raised in a dysfunctional home. So, when I came out to my parents, this this kind of blindsided me that no, you can't be this, and we're going to help you out. Even though at my innermost self, I was like, well, wait, but I'm pretty sure these feelings are who I am. But I was on the track of what I think most of us that are LGBTQ find ourselves being of, okay, well, let's just do whatever I need to do to help please everybody. And that's where I went. So, okay, fine. So I go to some religious therapy, not ex-gay, but religious therapy. And um, I kind of swallowed the pill and said, okay, yeah, this is just a phase. Um, Even though the whole time I was sitting there with the pastor of the church doing these sessions i was sitting there going well he's really really hot you know and so it was like it didn't work it just didn't work but i was like (laughs) it's a really weird space that i'm perving on the pastor but i'm also going well but this isn't really what i am so it was really kind of a screwed up space but i feel really blessed that that happened and to some people that may sound okay really you're blessed because then a few years later you you know, went through a divorce and you hurt a woman and, you know, kids got a, a family, broke up, blah, blah, blah. I do feel blessed because this was 1983, 84, somewhere in that range, just as the AIDS epidemic was hitting. Mm-hmm. And because of my immaturity and being naive and everything, I think if I had actually taken the stand to be the screw you mom and dad guy, I probably wouldn't be having this conversation with you, you mm. two today, mm, wow. because it was it was just so new. And my uh, the irony of everything was my dad's oldest brother um, actually was one of the very early cases of HIV and AIDS, and we lost him shortly after. Mm. Shortly after I revealed to my mom and dad that I thought I was gay. So flash forward, I you know swallow the pill, move on, believe that I'm not going to be this. All the while. My sexual history was sneaking off wherever I could and finding sexual encounters um, in the proverbial restrooms or mm. corn shops or whatever. All of it being pretty much masturbation and jerking off, um, blowjobs, things such as that. Still not having true, quote unquote, intercourse. And then I met my wife. Mm. And suddenly it was almost like everything lined up the white picket fence the the wedding the the beautiful girl that i fell in love with the career was starting to take off and suddenly the beautiful accolades wrapped me up in the arms of everybody loves ricky Hmm. and so little ricky said okay now i'm mature rick quote unquote and I'm doing exactly what everybody wants. And man, this feels good to have all those great accolades. And so the mask went up and the mask stayed on for 13 years. And um, in those 13 years, obviously, I was having sex because I have two children. I didn't have any problem having sex with my wife, even though latently underneath everything, I was experimenting with my homosexual self. Um, I'm not proud of that life, Mm. but it also opened me up to 
the thing that finally happened, which was meeting a guy who really rocked my world on a trip in London and realizing that in the midst of that whole experience with him, that because we didn't have any sex, that's when I realized what it looked like to be with a guy. Spent a night with him. There wasn't any sex. There was touching and fondling, but I mean, there wasn't even an orgasm between either one of us. And we had really connected at the heart level. Hmm. Uh, and so that the was, romantic piece of it, yeah, the relational so the, piece. Yeah, it showed up. Mm-hmm. The emotional, intellectual piece showed up, and I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly I thought to myself, you know, as I typically say when I'm going through this on stage, sharing my story, you know, that was the night. Um, there was no sex. I fell in love, and I fell apart. And that's really true. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I didn't know what to do with this. And in that moment is when I realized, okay, things are going to change. And literally within, you know, a few days, my whole life mm. changed. Wow. And um, that's when I began to discover me. And then that's when I began to discover what it meant for me to be an out gay man. Went through a divorce, went through a string of relationships, um, figuring out who I was. And um, discovering that sex is something that's a, very much at my core. It's who I am. It's something I enjoy immensely. Um, it's something that I will admittedly say defines me as a man and as a human, that I have a, a sexual energy that I no longer hide. Um, and I'm really actually proud to talk about what sexual energy means to me and share with others that for me, sex is just a beautiful piece that connects people Mm -hmm. and it can be something really powerful as long as you realize the power of sex Hmm. and what is the power of sex i think it's very individual how you define that for some people the power of sex is simply it's a means to intimacy for others it's a means of allowing themselves to be somebody that they normally wouldn't be perceived as. Um, for some, it's romance. For some people, it's all those things. I mean, it, it really, to me, d- becomes something that each person defines. And, and as I work with individuals who are, you know, as a, as a life coach myself, I, I work specific- I do a lot of work in the LGBT community, even though my, my platform is much larger than that these days. But when I work with somebody coming through those closet doors, and it's been interesting because now a lot of my clients, I'm helping them come through the closet doors of admitting that, you know, they want to be in a polyamorous relationship or that they're into BDSM or that they want to have an open relationship. So, you know, this coming out is has become so much bigger. But one of the things that I really find powerful is helping someone define how sex is a powerful energy for them rather than a disempowering energy in their life. And so that's why I think everybody defines it in their own way. And the thing that makes it disempowering Mm -hmm. a lot of times is hanging on to what other people think your sex life, your sex energy should be. And that's what disempowers us. In my opinion, that is what can disempower us as human beings. I'm curious, what had you come to that realization for yourself? Owning that I was a cheater and that living a life of infidelity Mm. was 
quickly becoming part of my own demise. Um, not only in my marriage, but in my relationship and having real raw conversations about it became really freeing first in my marriage because the real raw conversation was, Hey, I'm gay. But yet as things began to unravel and the relationship began to settle out of the divorce and we began to work more powerfully again as a joint couple as parents, um, disclosing the past life became something that was really important to me. And I realized how, empowered I felt when I finally was able to admit I'm sorry that I wasn't ever faithful. That was also a moment when I started to realize is this something that I did because I was gay or is this something that is part of who I want to be in my own person? Am I really meant to be a monogamous person? And am I meant to be in a monogamous relationship? And that was the turning point for me to start having very real conversations in the relationships that I was in about this. Hmm. And it opened the doorway to getting really real to this day where I, I'm very real about it. Um, and I, you know, I admit I'm, I'm in an open relationship and those who criticize, I say, I'm not saying it has to work for you. This happens to be what works for us. And you define love your way, you define sex your way, you define intimacy your way, and I'm all for you. I want you to do that, but please grant me the respect to do those same things for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, A, how you met your current partner, and B, what that conversation was like when you two were designing what the kind of form and structure of the relationship was going to be moving forward so um my partner and i met online years and years ago when there wasn't all the apps and everything that we readily have available to us in this quote-unquote modern age mm -hmm. um it was one of the very first um online gay websites called planet out and then it morphed into a couple other things i think it actually became what now exists as gay.com it got bought out and everything but um it's kind of interesting. Neither one of us were actually, we were both on the site, but we weren't flagged as looking or anything. And he discovered my profile. He sent the, at that time, you sent a message that went to your email and, you know, took forever to <laughs> finally get to you. But um, so we met through that. We met actually the week of 9-11, um, which was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, hmm, is this an omen that maybe this <laughs> one's not going to work? Uh, but here we are, um, 16 years later, and we're still together. So, um, you know, it was it was rather interesting that um, where we are now and where we started at, we started in a very monogamous position, um, which for both of us was where we really wanted to be. Um, as the relationship began to grow who I was was still who I was. Um, my sexual energy was definitely different than his. And, um, so again, I found myself in that space of infidelity and, um, 
looking and then there was an instance where he found himself in that and that was the first time we had a conversation around this and rather than it becoming a i react to your infidelity and you react to mine we started talking about what would this look like and so we began to design how we explored this mm-hmm. and um we began exploring in ways of you know bringing somebody else into the relationship from time to time we had you know we agreed we'd only do this when we were both agreeing to it we had you know we're only going to do this when we're out of town on vacation because you know god forbid somebody might know us in you know the greater los angeles area and then think bad of us it's like really (laughs) with all the millions of people that live here i don't think that's going to happen but uh, (laughs) you know but but i think this is these are the important things that anybody who's looking to structure their relationship to be more open or explore polyamory or any of these things as funny as that may sound, these are the kind of conversations you have to have right. in order to really be, A, truthful, to be trustworthy, and to be honest with yourself. And not necessarily in that order. I think, for me, it's the honest with yourself piece that needs to come first, that, hey, I know this is who I am, and this is what I desire i don't like the word need because i don't think any of us need these things in our relationship Hmm. but when we admit this is what we desire in a relationship and we can actually say to a partner or partners this is what i really truly desire it suddenly becomes really 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 powerful Mm -hmm. and knowing that that is a power space to say this is what i desire just freeze people so much. I've seen this happen with my clients to say, this is what I desire and here's why. Because none of us have ever really been, I think in the sexual arena, maybe in other arenas, but definitely in the sexual arena have been taught how to ask powerfully for what we desire. Well, and you're having me think of something, Rick, like there is an energy around desire that is much more powerful, like I'm owning it, I'm claiming it, where need can kind of come off like I'm a victim to it somehow, like I'm a slave to it. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's a really wise, insightful observation. Mm-hmm. If we're not a slave if you know okay, so I will be the first to admit that I actually explored with myself whether I was a sex addict or whether this was just a sexual energy thing that I have such a high sex drive and and desire to experience lots of different kinds of sexual experiences. And I've read a lot. I've studied a lot around this. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to admit this is just a desire thing, there wasn't a need. A need to me would be then you're going down the path of sexual addiction. Got it. To me, and again, this is my perspective, when you give yourself permission to say, this is what I desire, it is a power. It is a power stance. It's like being the person who says, I desire to lose weight versus I need to lose weight. Now, in some cases, you need to lose weight because otherwise your ticker is going to explode and you're done anyway. But when you say, I desire to lose weight because I want to live a full long life, that's so much more empowering than I need to lose weight or I'm going to die. So I think those are the big differences is when you can really sort out for yourself 
what need versus desire is for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... And your partner mm-hmm. or partners. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious in your personal experience, when I, when I listen to what you're saying and when I kind of f- put myself in that place and feel into it, the, the way that it feels to me inside saying I need something versus saying I desire something is they're very different for me. And so I'm curious just internally for you, what's the difference in experience? Well, a need is almost the first thing that came to my mind as you asked that Bob was a need could, can feel shameful or almost Mm -hmm. like I, I, I feel guilty so if I need to lose weight because I'm I'm about to make my heart explode, then suddenly it's like I did this to myself and oh my God, there's a lot of shame around this. Versus when I desire to lose weight so that I can live a full, rich, happy life, it's it's just so empowering. So when I look at the arena of sex and you know, I've said this on numerous occasions and then I had to eat my own dog food around this too. <laughs> I would say sex is just sex. Love and sex is different. But then when I started experiencing this with someone who was willing to go into that space with me, I had to come back to, okay, so you're, you've been Mr. Sex is just sex, but then I had to get used to that idea that that person I'm in an intimate relationship with is experiencing sex with other people too. Mm-hmm. Whether it was with me, that was easier with it when it was the two of us. But knowing that this person was also experiencing sex outside of our relationship, mm. I had to come back to, okay, this is what you desired, or is this what you needed? And I had to kind of sort through that, too. Mm-hmm. And I had to also sort through, you got what you wanted, now are you really man enough to stand in this and be okay with it? And it took a lot of time, and from time to time, depending you know, what happens... I don't know that you ever get completely past it because you may see something that happens with, you know, your partner with someone else and go, wow, there seems to be that connection. So then you can either choose to say, hey, I saw this connection happen and I need to talk with you about this. Or, hey, I saw this connection happen and I'd like to create that with you. And I think that's where interesting dynamics begin to show up as we explore open relationships, polyamory. You know, I see gay men go through this a lot where, and I hate to just say gay men because I know this is happening in the heterosexual community. It just doesn't get talked about in the same way. Mm. But, you know, gay men seem to have the reputation of, you know, we just all like fuck like dogs and move on. To some degree, that can be true for some people, but when I work with some of my guys who are like, yeah, I really, you know, I really want to have more, they have to like sort through, well, what does that more look like? And are they going to be able to stand in a monogamous relationship when for a lot of their life, it's been, I'm going to hop from guy to guy to guy, I'm going to have the great fun experience sexually. Now I got to retrain my brain, so to speak, to kind of go do this other thing. But are they beating themselves up for no reason instead of let's give me give myself some room to understand this and let's step into it slowly. I can't be a hundred percent monogamous out the gate, but I'd like to, and you, you got to kind of take the steps. And I think this is where many people misstep is, okay, I'm done hooking up. I'm going to just be monogamous. Really? 
that would be like, okay, I'm no longer going to, you know, drink soda or drink coffee or eat red meat or, you know, you just suddenly like cold turkey, (laughs) cold turkey instead of working into it slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people try to do this, and then they're like, oh, my God, this didn't work. Well, think about why it didn't work. You cut yourself off from something that in in many ways was a desire. So just readjust the desire and slowly pull the desire back, and then you're going to probably be a heck of a lot more successful. Mm-hmm. Was there a turning point for you in being able to do polyamorous, polyamorous relationship well in your marriage your current marriage i think we're still working on it uh-huh. i don't think you ever stop working on it because <laughs> different things will happen um i think the turning point was just some really raw conversations mm-hmm. one i remember one being and this is going to probably sound kind of like almost abrasive to some people but was the day that i said yeah you're right. You're absolutely right. I I am out there having sex with other guys, and I'm no longer going to hide it, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Mm-hmm. That was like the most ballsy move of my life. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, what I also felt was I've got a freaking solid, awesome, loving relationship here. So I trusted that I could lean on that to say what I said in that moment. Well, and also what, trusting that if it went south, then that's what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And what I hear in you in that moment is that you were you were being honest, you were being authentic. And and my experience personally is that when I stand in that place, even though it might be scary or difficult for myself and the other person i can i can stay present with them still i i don't ch- it's like i can stay checked into the process when i'm being honest with myself it's when i'm being dishonest that all the weird disconnection and checkout happens for me well martha beck you know anybody who's listening may know martha beck but she's a, one of the eminent life coaches she was she wrote for oprah magazine for a long time she was uh, oprah protege and i remember one of the articles she wrote where she talked about pretending Mm. and her statement was if you're pretending to be someone you're not and you're in a relationship with someone who's pretending to be someone they're not you're having a pretend relationship Mm. And that was really powerful because mm-hmm. it made me look at my relationship, not just my intimate relationship, but it made me look at my relationship with my ex-wife, with my kids, with my parents, with my, at the time, you know, my colleagues and coworkers. I was just starting my coaching practice. But it even made me look at, you know, my relationship I was having with my trainers in my coaching school. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow. Yeah, what a what a trip that if we're both pretending there is only a pretend relationship we're not seeing each other for what's real. Mm. And as scary as it is as Brené Brown would say to go into the arena, mm-hmm. if you're standing outside of the arena and you're both standing outside of the arena, nothing's really going down. There's mm-hmm. no real stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And oh, I don't know, maybe it's because I've gotten, you know, older and wiser as they would say, but you know, I'm 53, and I do think that has some to do with this, that 
I'm finally beginning to really understand what happens to those people that I actually admire that are in their 50s and 60s who say, I, I have no reason to give a fuck. <laughs> because I'm really getting it. It's like, really? Wow, we spent all this time in our 20s and 30s and 40s caring about what other people think. And I'm not saying you can't, I'm not saying just screw everybody. That's not where I'm coming from. But when you finally go, okay, I don't have to care so much about what somebody thinks. Because when I'm real and when I'm transparent and I'm willing to step into the arena and I invite you to step into the arena with me, half the time when you're in the arena together is when the real magic happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was thinking when you made the arena analogy at first is if you're both standing outside of it, none of it can happen. But you avoid the difficult parts, but you also avoid the beautiful parts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and avoidance, of- avoidance is such a big thing, whether you, in all of our lives. Well, especially I'm thinking about in the kind of coming out space too, right? Because we're so concerned about what are other people going to think? Is this going to destroy the relationships we have with people and my life? And, you know, again, that kind of so concerned and, and rightfully so, I understand the fear, right? But it is the, okay, then I'll just stand outside in the periphery of my life instead of being like this active creator of my life. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Natalie, because what would it feel like on that last breath of life to say, I stood on the periphery of my life? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I know for me, that doesn't feel very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't myself. There were Mm -hmm. a lot of things I wanted to do that I didn't do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to the point that, Natalie, you just made around the whole coming out thing, we're all coming out of something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm working with a a client right now whose wife kissed a girl and she liked it. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally, that's what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know what to do with this because this came out of left field for her. It was like the mm-hmm. perfect storm between her and another woman that neither one of them had ever had that exploration. Mm-hmm. Yet for him, he's coming out too. He now has a spouse who potentially may be gay or bi. So he now has a coming out journey to go experience. And we all have these experiences. Another client of mine right now is coming out to truly admit that she hates, she hates being the CEO of her company. But she's afraid to come out and say that because everybody thinks she's great and everybody thinks she's awesome and and she's built this life and she's completely miserable. She's on a coming out journey to admit, this isn't who I want to be. So these coming out things... While we may be talking about sex and all this stuff, you can overlay this experience of coming out to be your truth in any aspect of life. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to the larger platform of the work that you're up to at this point. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I really do believe, I mean, even in starting this podcast, you know, sex is an act and a kind of. Um, energy in and of itself but it's such a metaphor for everything else it's such a 
kind of gateway to see the way we live the rest of our lives, right? And just kind of the way we relate to sex is the way we relate to a lot of things or vice versa. And um, and it sometimes, for me, takes a power away from it as, as to the pull of sex and also brings the power back into it that it's like, it is about sex, but it's not. <laughs> well... I think I, I think you're spot on there, and I also think that so much of what happens with sex becomes about ownership and control. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I think it be, becomes that thing that you become my object. And what if sex wasn't about you're my property, you're my you're my ownership, and sex was purely about we get to share this beautiful thing that humans get to share Hmm. it becomes something again my perspective it becomes something completely different Mm -hmm. yeah in fact for a lot of people who are exploring the open relationship or polyamory life and i know you guys have done some you know stuff around the polyamory thing but too many people again assume (laughs) yeah (laughs) didn't work out too well for us for us yeah but i mean i I think the thing is is so many people are so confused about that Mm -hmm. it's like okay well first of all let's set the record straight that just like gay and lesbian it's not all about sex a polyamory lifestyle could be you love someone because you love someone and you connect with them on a level that maybe you don't with that core person in your life Mm -hmm. in other realms it could be Yes, that sexual piece is the thing that happens, and that's what happens with that person, but it doesn't happen with, you know, in the same way with the person you're in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. But I think if we allow each other to say this sexual energy expression is something that we're all entitled to, as much as we're entitled to be who we are, and as much as we're entitled to have opinions and uh, entitled to choose, then it becomes a freedom. But society has a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. I think so. And and I kind of I feel compelled to bring this up just in this space of exploration, right? If we're exploring our sexual energy, we're exploring our desires, we're exploring who we are in this kind of space. Because even when I, so I now consider myself bisexual. It took a long time to get to this place of like coming out around that and owning it. And I still remember the couple of interactions I had with women were like not that great. And so it made me wonder, maybe I'm not bisexual. Maybe I'm not into women. And it wasn't until later that I realized, no, it's just because I didn't have the connection with these women. And I I wasn't in a place of being able to like really own my desires around it. Like the the circumstances around it didn't like foster and lend itself to it. And it was the same thing with Bob and I with open it's it's not that i don't know because i i keep saying the jury's still out around me and polyamory but i found myself wanting to throw the baby out with the bathwater because it didn't work for us doesn't mean that it still doesn't work for me you know it might be a different situation with another partner or partners or whatever that is so just kind of throwing that into the kind of soup that you know, as, as we explore who we are, like sometimes you need a bigger sample set (laughs) than just like trying something once or, and then being like, yep, that's it. That's who I am. 
I agree a hundred percent. I mean, if we, if we made every relationship decision based on the first experience, where would we all be? Right. How many times have we had sex with someone for the first time? And it was like, nah, not that great. And, right. and then, you know, it takes time to like build the, the relationship, to get to know each other, to get to know each other's bodies, to get to know the positions that feel really like good, mm-hmm. you know, with the other person. And to know ourselves and what we want. Right. Mm-hmm. And to grant ourselves the space to realize what we desire and what we want is a continuum mm-hmm. mm, and yeah. it's going to more than likely change over time right yeah if we were and if we were born knowing everything that we wanted and we'd basically be born enlightened if if we didn't have to go through life and figure all of this stuff out and it's it's a, a process of uncovering and then like you're saying things shift as we continue moving through life I was just thinking otherwise we'd be robots because that means that we were programmed with certain software in the beginning and it never changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, and how boring would that be? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. If, 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 if truly the consummate way of being in a sexual relationship was straightforward missionary position all the time. Oh, my God, kill me now. <laughs> exactly. I, I'd be like, okay, well, I'd rather, you know – go jump off a cliff i i think because it's <laughs> like there would be no there would be nothing there mm-hmm. hmm. and i think when you realize okay i need to be i need to explore or those who may not need to explore then you allow each other to say i know i'm good i don't need to explore but if the other half says i need to explore and i'm not advocating i'm not advocating open relationships I'm not saying cheating. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying be willing to understand this is a conversation that may need to show up and go, okay, wow, so you want to explore, but I don't. So how do we do this? Mm-hmm. And what can we do to make this work? One of one of my clients, he made a conscious choice to stay in his relationship, and his wife made the conscious choice to stay in it as well. And they work through helping him explore his homosexual desires. She also granted permission for him to be on the apps with the understanding that he wasn't going to go act on anything. He just needed the camaraderie in the community. Now, he happened to be in a rural area of Idaho. So the camaraderie was more, I need somebody because I don't have anybody in this area to like really connect with. Mm. But what began to happen is even as they worked through it, and they did, and I'm not, they put a lot of effort into this. What happened was she began to realize, I can't, I can't be what you need me to be to explore this gay stuff with you. Mm-hmm. So that meant they were using toys and everything else to sexually satisfy him. And what was interesting is they're, now they're no longer together. Um, they still, have, you know, they have the kids between them, so they they do have a they actually have a pretty healthy post coming out relationship because they went that path. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is as she tried to help him explore his homosexuality by you know helping him explore being a bottom and all these sort of things. Once that became apparent that that wasn't working for her, which meant it wasn't working for them, 
that began to be the unraveling. And now what he has discovered in himself, so to my continuum and constantly allowing your sexuality to be fluid, he's actually not near as active as a bottom as he is just being what happens in the moment. And he shared this with me several times because I'm kind of surprised that what I thought was the reason that I was really exploring my homosexuality was I had this innate desire to want to be a bottom. And then as that got to be explored with my wife, that it wasn't as satisfying. And then once we started opening up to where I could go explore with men, and then as the relationship unraveled, I realized, yeah, I was enjoying that, but that wasn't the driver. I needed more. And now he's given himself permission to just fully explore. And he's like, I can't say I'm bottom top or anything. He goes, I, I say I'm versatile, but even saying versatile, he goes, I'm just a guy that's in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes those are the things that we miss, not only in our sexual energy, but in our life. We forget mm-hmm. to be in the moment. Right. Well, and what's your, uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking of, it sounds to me like they had a very conscious and loving, I'm sure it was difficult, but very conscious and loving separation based on what you're saying. And yeah. I guess I'm curious on to hear your take or your evaluation on the impact that that had on them as well as on the kids versus staying in a relationship where they weren't being themselves. Well, the thing that they talked about the most is we want to do what we know is best for each of us, even through the pain. And I don't know that enough people can consciously do what they did because the moment infidelity happens or the moment that something like I'm gay shows up in a relationship or the moment, you know, you discover something about that person you're in a relationship with, it suddenly becomes all about you and the pain you're going through instead of, okay, so let's, let's just stop. Let's breathe. I'm in pain you're probably in pain too. Even if you're the one who caused the pain, there's probably pain because you now realize you brought something into somebody's life unless you're a complete asshole. But, you know, and that happens too. There can be those, I've worked with those people who are like, yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm gay. And, and I took care of them all my life, you know, their lives and brought the kids into the world. It's now my turn. Okay. And those, those are like, you know, a whole nother animal to work with, but to be able to stop and pause and go, we're in crisis, but in this crisis, How do we do what's best for each of us, the relationship, and the family? Mm -hmm. When that can happen, it becomes a very healthy untangling. Mm -hmm. Or it can become a very healthy rebuilding. Mm -hmm. But too often, nobody gives room for that to happen. It's, you did this to me, you're the son of a bitch, you're the bitch, whatever it is, the fingers get pointed, and there's no room for, let's take a breath, let's both admit we're in crisis, we're in pain, and how can we best walk away from this crisis and this pain? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I'm working with a client, and very rarely do I get to work with the spouse, I have on occasion... But one of the requirements that I have is that my client, to the best of their ability, try to get them and their spouse into some couples therapy if they're not already in it. Not because I want to see them repair the relationship. 
if they can, and that's a desire they both have. So like my current client who, you know, him and his wife are trying to figure this out. They're in couples therapy trying to decide if this is repairable or if it's not. Most of the time I recommend they get into therapy to beautifully untangle the relationship. Mm -hmm. You built it up. You can take it down. But if you don't take it down in the right way, that's when there's hurt feelings. That's when there's bitterness and anger. And as much as that may be hard for anyone who's listening to think, I couldn't do that. If I've been cheated on her, you know what? Give yourself, give yourself the best gift, even if it's only a couple of sessions. Go in and let somebody try to help you disentangle what you built. Mm-hmm. You will find it will be worth every dollar and every minute you spend if you at least attempt to untangle it in a healthy way. And behind it all, what I hear you saying is really, no matter what direction things go, coming at it with the intention to continue loving each other through the whole process. Yeah. And loving yourselves as well. Yeah. And that love may not look like the definition of love that everybody else wants it to mm-hmm. look like. Mm-hmm. It could be, I love her, but I still think she's a bitch. <laughs> I love her and I care about her, but I can no longer be responsible that she can't get past this. I may love him and care about him, but he's never gonna he's never going to change the way he feels towards me, but I still care about him that he's doing the best he can do. Those are such more powerful statements than, God, you're a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Now, there will be those moments. I mean, I'm six, uh, 17, almost 18 years into my separation, divorce, and there's still moments that I'm like, oh, God, she's such a fucking bitch. Mm-hmm. But had I not been able to go do some work to really untangle this in some healthier ways, I don't know if I could even still have a relationship with her as the mother of my children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Rick, as we start to wind down, are there any pieces that we haven't talked about or that we didn't dive into that you want to bring into the conversation? You know, the, the thing that I wish we as a humanity could really give each other the gift of would be acceptance. And I know that may sound kind of trite and like, okay, we've heard this before, but I mean, acceptance at a really deep level that each one of us has been given one birthright in my book beyond any other shadow of a doubt birthright. And that's to live our life the way we choose to live our life. And for anyone to say, you can't live your life the way you choose to live it, is really disrespectful. And whether it's about sex, whether it's about careers, whether it's about how you vote, whether it's about anything, if we would just give each other that one piece of respect that, yep, you know what, you get to go live your life. Mm And that's a really hard thing for me to say because in this moment, I don't have a relationship with my parents because of that exact thing. Mm-hmm. But what it's taught me, even though I've been through this over and over and over again with them, what it's teaching me, and I'm not sure taught was the right way to say that what it's teaching me 
is they get to live their life the way they choose to live it too. Mm -hmm. And I need to constantly remember that. As much as I want to be able to live my life the way I choose, and I'm not saying that being gay is my choice. I'm saying that I get to choose and stand up for my truth of who I know I am. I owe it to them to be able to stand up and live their truth as well. But this is where we as a human race, and it always gets really, 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 really messy in the sexual arena when we don't think other people can live their sexual lives the way they choose to live their sexual lives. And when you start to look at it from there, then you do the same thing with careers and how they raise families and religious beliefs. It's, it's really, we see it in our world today. So much strife and everything in our world would be eliminated if we allowed each other to be who we are. I realize there are the extremes. And this is where I always get in hot water when I say something like that. Well, what about, you know, ISIS and, you know, whomever. I'm not going to bring up the political campaign. But, you know, it, it, it is that dicey space. It's like, okay, well, if you want everybody to be able to be who they are, then why can't the guy who just murdered somebody be who he is? I think that's where we step into the extremes, which you got to understand, too, that maybe the guy who mur- just murdered someone, maybe he was doing the best he could with what he had. So accept that piece. Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong, but let's give each other the space to go be who you are and allow each other to live who we are. Yeah, ooh, that could go so many different ways because my first thought was, but I wonder if all these people that intentionally or unintentionally harm other people is because they haven't been given the grace and the permission and the respect to be able to live their lives the way that they want. And then they act out and in other ways. And they act out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So I think that's one of the greatest mysteries of this of this humanity. Right. Is when we if we if we could actually wave a magic wand and say everybody can be who they are without judgment. Yeah, I wonder. What what <laughs> might start to happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, you asked what else? I think the other thing that I I would love to just leave the listeners with is when you trust yourself to be yourself it's pretty easy to live life but if you trust other people to be yourself it's pretty difficult mic drop (laughs) and Rick walks off the stage I think my computer just lit on fire Thank you very much, folks. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been great being with you guys again. And thanks so much for the friendship and the professional relationship and just everything that we have become over the last couple of years. So thanks for the opportunity. Special. special. Yeah. So we will also include it in the show notes, but if someone wanted to get in touch with you, find out more about you, listen to your podcast or get some support, with the work that you do, how would they find you? Just just look up the website Big Harry Audacious Diva and you'll find me. So uh, <laughs> Are you serious? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't I'll, put I'll it think beyond about you. going and buying that. I'm like, maybe I need to do that, you know? It would stand uh, out. I would That's not for sure. put it beyond you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but no, it's rickclemens.com is the website. Um, the podcast is the coming out lounge. And, um, you know, I don't want people to make the assumption that the coming out lounge is just about coming out about LGBT stuff. You both have been on it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about different things. I, I've got people coming on the show that are talking about coming out of being alcoholics and being people who suffer from traumatic brain injuries. So we're, we're starting to, we're starting to open the doorway and it's, it's so exciting to see. So, um, yeah, so those are the things that are going on. So yeah, rickclemens.com and the coming out lounge.com. Those are where you can find me. Great. Thanks so much, Rick. Thanks. All right, so thank we have you. two really quick last questions that we oh, ask. Sure. Um, so my question is what is your favorite thing about sex? The things you discover that you didn't know about yourself. Mm. My question for you is how would you describe sex to somebody who's never had it before? It's the thing that is the epitome of curiosity. Hmm. Ooh. I love that answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aw. Thank you, Rick. Rick love thanks you so much. much. Thank you. We hope you had as much fun listening to this conversation as we did interviewing Rick. I know, isn't he amazing? (laughs) And we have no idea what to say right now. (laughs) (laughs) You should see the looks on our faces like deer in headlights. (laughs) We want to let you know that Natalie and I are passionate about helping people have really vibrant sex lives and relationships. We actually work privately with clients and have had some really extraordinary success stories like the couple who went from divorce at the beginning of working with us to six months later saying that they hadn't laughed as much in the past six years. Mm-hmm. If, if this kind of support is something that you might be interested in, you can go over to sexthepodcast.com, learn a little bit more about Natalie and I, the work that we do, and feel free to reach out. We would love to support you, and we know that you can have the most amazing love and sex life in the world. That's the stake that we have planted firmly in the ground. It's why we do this podcast. It's why we're so committed to bringing just really authentic, genuine conversations to you is because we believe it's possible. Mm -hmm. We love you a lot. Till next time. See you next episode.